Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. I want to say hello to a good friend of ours sent us a, a beautiful letter, Joyce and Julius Dickey from San Luis Obispo, California. They write to me saying this, We enjoy your weekly talk on Catholic Radio and hope that we will hear your voice for a long time to come. We attend St. Anne Byzantine Catholic Church in San Luis Obispo, California. Your talks are educational and inspiring. God bless you for many years. What a beautiful letter. Thank you, Joyce and Julius Dickey from San Luis Obispo, California. Thank you to all of you who listen to us out in that area, especially on Immaculate Heart Radio. I want to thank all those in the Bay Area, especially. I've been out there a few times, and I'll be returning there in August to give some talks. So I want to say hello to all of you, and especially all of you. I'd like to say hello to all of you who are serving time in prison. You are our special audience and we enjoy hearing from you whenever you can as well. I don't always get back to you as I would like to, but at least I can give you my greetings on this program. And thank you again for listening, and our prayers are with all of you. This program today is on the day of the Fathers of the Six Ecumenical Councils. In the Eastern Churches, the councils were times in history whenever the theologians and bishops, people of the church, got together to work out and finalize, articulate a teaching having to do with the Trinity, Jesus Christ, and therefore sometimes the Blessed Mother. They all kind of work together. What you say about one, naturally you're saying something about the other and vice versa. They got together to work out these teachings that were oftentimes misunderstood, confused, or even challenged. There were heresies that would circulate that became oftentimes widely accepted Something like today, where there are certain ideologies that become widely accepted, which are not true. Just because they're widely accepted doesn't mean they are true. So the fathers of the church got together from time to time. Now, this span of time, it's interesting that, that the span of time, when you start from the time of the apostles, and they had to get it right too. 
They didn't always understand things. Remember the little squabble between St. Paul and St. Peter? Paul actually took Peter to task. Read about that in the Acts of the Apostles and also in Galatians, where Peter was doing something not quite right, and Paul took him to task. So even the apostles had to get it right. From the very, very beginning, it's always about getting things right about who Jesus Christ really is and what that means in terms of our lives. Who Jesus Christ is in regard to the Trinity, to the Father, to the Holy Spirit, and who Jesus Christ is in regard to us and in how we are to each other and where the mother of God, the mother of Jesus, fits into all this. So always those things had to be articulated because, as you can imagine, when you're bringing a new revelation, you know, salvation, the, the good news, the gospel, you're bringing something new to cultures which are varied, they're pagan cultures or Jewish cultures, they have different thinking, beliefs, ideologies, philosophies, experiences, histories. When you're bringing the Word of God, the truth, finally, to those cultures and to those peoples, it's understandable that there'd be difficulty at times, even confusion, in how to actually understand, to absorb, articulate, to live out these teachings. So from time to time, these teachings would be challenged or even confused. So the church would get together and clarify it. Now, This started, as I mentioned, from the time of the apostles, right away with Jesus Christ. In fact, even when they were around Jesus Christ, they didn't always understand. (laughs) They would ask Jesus, stop speaking in parables. Can't you speak to us plainly? We don't understand. But eventually, they, they got it, and they passed down that faith intact to us for all time. However, in that process, there were a lot of twists and turns. So the actual span of time, from the time of the apostles to the time of the last council in the Eastern churches, which is in the 8th century, you're talking about 800 years. Imagine 800 years to try to get it right. Who Jesus Christ really is, what that means, who he is in relation to the Father and the Holy Spirit, who the Mother of God is. So in the Eastern churches, we put a lot of emphasis on the councils. Yes, of course, we acknowledge the Pope of Rome. Now, the Orthodox, of course, acknowledge him in a certain way, but they don't acknowledge him as their particular leader. They have their own what's called patriarchs. And because of that, the Eastern churches put more emphasis on a body of people rather than on one person, such as the Pope. Especially in the Orthodox churches, they accept what the councils said, not necessarily what one person said, even if that one person was correct, a patriarch or whatever, a saint, you know, a priest, a bishop. They still put their emphasis, their confidence in what comes out of a council. In other words, the gathering of the representation of the whole church. And the statements of these councils are accepted then as our faith, as our body of truth. Now, there were, as I mentioned, there were six. There were actually seven, but the seventh one stands apart. The first six start with the first ecumenical council in Nicaea in 325 AD. Now, there were 300 church fathers there, and it is commemorated on May 29th and on the seventh Sunday after Easter in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And this council refuted the Arian heresy, which basically is something we see in certain ways recycled even today. And that's the problem with heresies. They get defeated and corrected, but they tend to raise their ugly head in different forms from time to time. 
The Arian heresy is a heresy that was perpetrated by a man named Arius. And basically, he was denying the divinity of Christ. He's saying, well, if Christ is God and man, how could that really be? See, once again, it's always a question of who really is this Jesus Christ? It's trying to reconcile this. There, there is a challenge in, in, in that in our little minds. So how do you reconcile a being, a person? says that he's God, yet he is man. Fully God, yet fully a man. How can that be? How can we wed those together, yet not confuse those natures? How can those two natures be in one person? Well, this is why sometimes the understanding of that would would get off track at times and even become popular. So Arius was maintaining that Jesus Christ was really not fully divine. Well, that's a terrible heresy, terrible one. It's a very foundational one, and that's one of the reasons it became the cause of the first ecumenical council. In fact, that council was called by Constantine, the secular emperor of the Byzantine Empire. And one of the reasons he called the church together, they could do that in those days, He called the church together because it was tearing his empire apart. Yeah, I call that the good old days. And they used to have bar fights over the nature of Christ, not on who was going to win the Stanley Cup or the Super Bowl. I mean, they shouldn't fight, but at least the fights were on something really, really substantial. And they got to the point where Constantine had to call together these councils to finally get it down straight so there wouldn't be any more fights and division in his empire. So the fathers got together and they set down what we know today is basically the creed based on the Apostles' Creed, but it's also called the Nicene Creed of the Nicene Council because it articulated our belief. And basically, it was to articulate who Jesus Christ was, that he was God and man, and how we believe that, what that actually means. Now, we're going to go 56 years later, 56 years to the Second Council in Constantinople in 381 A.D., attended by 150 fathers. It was commemorated on May 22nd. Now, this council refuted the heresy of Macedonius against God, the Holy Spirit. In other words, it was denying that the Holy Spirit was truly God. You notice how it's always about the Trinity in some way. In particular, it's about Jesus Christ. And remember, everything is integrated. So what you say about one person, one person of the Trinity, or one human person, such as the mother of God, you are necessarily saying something about the other. And that's why we have to be right on when it comes to articulating these beliefs. Okay, now we're going to advance 50 years, and we come to the third council, which was in Ephesus in 431 AD, with 200 church fathers in attendance. It is commemorated on September 9th, and this council refuted the Nestorian heresy against the mother of God. Again, If you're saying something about the mother of God, you're necessarily saying something about Christ. And what Nestorius was perpetrating was this idea that Jesus Christ really was not God, so the Virgin Mary did not really give birth to the person we can actually call God. It was just a person. And in doing so, it it actually then articulated something incorrect about the Virgin Mary. And so... What the council fathers did was they said, okay, all of the beautiful terms and titles we can give to the Virgin Mary, the one that is most full, most accurate, most revealing, is that she is the Theotokos, the God-bearer, that the person that she bore in her womb was God. We say that she gave birth to God, not in the sense of biological birth. She did not biologically birth God. What we mean when we say she was the Theotokos, the God-bearer, is that the person in her womb was fully man, Jesus Christ, but also 
fully God. So again, that was the Council of Ephesus. Now we're going to go 20 years later, the Fourth Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD, 630 fathers present. It is commemorated on July 16th, and this council refuted the Monophysite heresy. The Monophysite heresy, monophysite, meaning it was a teaching that said Jesus Christ had only one nature instead of two. Again, how could he have two natures? How could one person have these two natures? Well, Jesus Christ was one person, but with two natures, fully God and fully man. And that's very, very significant because if he did not take on our nature fully, he was just God, then he couldn't have saved our nature. The whole point of God himself taking on our nature while remaining God was so that he could save our nature in its entirety and mount our nature on the very throne of heaven with him at his ascension. If he was only human, he couldn't have saved us because humans cannot save themselves. We needed God. So Jesus Christ had to be God and man, fully God, fully man, not confused, two separate natures, but one person. When we return, we're going to talk more about the six ecumenical councils. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net.
Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host, and we're moving through the six councils and mentioning the seventh, but we're reserving that for something special. The six ecumenical councils that occurred in the East among the Eastern churches, and it's celebrated on the seventh Sunday after Pentecost in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, which happens to be this Sunday this year. It happens to fall on this Sunday. Now, we mentioned the first four. Now we move to the fifth council, and that fifth council happened 102 years after the fourth one. Now, notice I'm giving the time intervals in between, because I'm making a point about that, which I'll get to at the end. The fifth council was in Constantinople in 553 AD with 160 fathers, and it's commemorated on July 25th. And this council refuted the heresy of Origen. Origen was a great, great mind of the church, a great figure of the church. But sometimes it's almost like with some of these people, their minds are so great, they're, they're so gifted, they're so full of inspiration that the only way I can understand it is sometimes it's like a cup that runneth over. It spills over. You know, when something spills over, it makes a little bit of a mess. So Origen was one of those who had a mind that I think spilled over. So he spilled over into things that were the church eventually considered to be heretical, although it was a fine line. One of those things that he taught was called apokatastasis. I know it's a big word. Basically, it means in the end, everyone will be saved because God is ultimately a loving God and no one ever be in hell forever. Now, that's a very attractive thought, one that, again, as you can see, can get recycled very easily, especially today. A lot of people have that opinion. Oh, God's a loving God. There's really no real hell or no one's going to go there forever because God would never do that. Well, it's not so much what God does to somebody, it's what we do to ourselves by choosing against God. God allows us to make our choice and live with it forever. So Origen's idea was attractive, gives us pause for thought, but it was still heresy. And this was declared at that council. Now we're going to go to the sixth one, 138 years later. The sixth council was again in Constantinople in 691 with 170 fathers present, and it is commemorated on January 23rd. This council refuted the Monothelite heresy, related to the Monophysite heresy. <laughs> Monothelite means to have only one will. It's kind of related to the Monophysite, because that said Jesus only had one nature. You can see how they're related. So the first one was refuted successfully. Now there is this idea later on that, oh, Jesus Christ can only have one will, the will of the Father. That was it. He couldn't choose otherwise. Well, he also had a human will. He did not have just a divine will. He had a human will as well. Because if he didn't have a human will and a divine will, he would not have been fully human, fully God. In order for Jesus Christ to have saved us, to have truly been our Savior, he had to have had both natures, fully, fully, including the will. You know, the act of will, our will, is very much a part of our human nature, and God has a will too. So it had to be both wills, even though it was one person. So that was refuted in 691 AD. And then finally, this is a separate one. It's not part of the Sixth Councils. The Seventh Ecumenical Council was held in 787, 367 fathers present. And this commemorated the refutation, you know, refuting the iconoclast heresy. You might wonder, well, why is this so special, set apart, when it's about pictures, about artwork? Well, that takes a 
good understanding of something very fundamental about Eastern spirituality, but about Christian spirituality itself, that it is completely incarnational and integrated, meaning that God has incarnated himself into our existence, which means he made himself an image. We can see an image of God in our very persons, in creation. God revealed himself, not in his full essence, but he revealed much of his nature through creation. He made himself present in his own created order. He became a creature while remaining the creator. And when we depict Jesus Christ in imagery, we proclaim that one foundational great mystery, which is the essential mystery of everything. And so that's why this council was set apart, because it refers to something absolutely central to everything. And it also enables us to, in fact, depict Christ, the angels, the mother of God, in imagery. And we must do that because as human beings, we're designed to perceive imagery, to hear music, to taste things, to touch things. So we have to appeal to our senses. And why did God give us five senses? Real simple. So we could experience him. We could see him, taste him, feel him, touch him, hear him. And that's why that council is set apart. But as I mentioned, I was counting the years in between. And it totals up from the time of the apostles to this last seventh council, about 800 years. And why is that significant? Well, I always find that to be encouraging whenever I look at our day and age today, which seems to recycle a number of heresies <laughs> and has a number of ideologies that get oftentimes forced upon us, that become popular, which are not correct thinking. And I think to myself, how unfortunate, you know, how sad, how frustrating. But then I look back on these councils and I look at the intervals between them and the sum total of the history of all these councils. And I think to myself, well, from the beginning, there were always challenges to the true faith, heresies, ideologies, philosophies, and things would go along fine for a few years, a few decades, even a hundred years. But then something would raise its ugly head another heresy or another form of the heresy being recycled in some other way, and the church would have to respond. In other words, the history of the church, if you really look at it, and this is what's encouraging to me, it's also very mystifying to me, is that the church is always in need of renewal, of correcting itself, of correcting things, always in need of purification. Whenever you Look at the history of the church, especially some of the great figures of the church, even some of the monks. Let's take, for instance, St. Benedict or St. Francis, as we know from the Western church. And St. Benedict actually was a crossover between East and West. When you look at that and those figures, you look at monasticism. So oftentimes these individuals came about in the history of the church because they were part of a renewal movement, a, a purging, a cleansing of the church. There was corruption in some form in the church. And always God renews the church through individuals, through movements, through the councils. And the same thing is happening now. Same thing will continue to happen probably till the end of time. And that gives me encouragement because it helps me not to become too despondent over some of the things I see today in and out of the church that can be very, very discouraging for us. Sometimes people within the church even latch on, as they did over the centuries, into teachings that are not correct. And as a priest dedicated to the true teaching of the church, both East and West, it sometimes is very 
very frustrating for me, actually. I can get somewhat despondent over it. Not despairing, but somewhat despondent over it that why people can't see and accept the true teaching of the church. It should be so evident. It's so beautiful. It's so marvelous. But such has been the case in the history of the church for a long, long time. And so that gives me encouragement. And that's what's important and helpful about learning a little bit of church history. We get to look at our own times in fuller context. And I once heard Father Benedict Rochelle say, Take heart, people. No matter how bad you think things are today, the worst days of the church are over. In his opinion, the worst day was when Judas betrayed Jesus Christ at the Last Supper. I thought that's an interesting point. And that goes all the way back to the very beginning because that is <laughs> that is a very weighty, dark moment of the church. When one of the apostles would betray Christ himself in the flesh at that very holy moment as Jesus is establishing the Eucharist. So that was a dark moment. It was right at the beginning. So maybe the late and great Father Benedict Rochelle had a great point. I want to conclude with a few texts that we pray during this great feast day of the six ecumenical councils. Here's one of the texts from Vespers. The fathers of the council inspired by God declare and explain that in Christ there is a divine act and a divine will, uncreated and infinite. The act and will of the Son of God. There is also a human act and a human will, those of the Son of Man. And thus they proclaim that Christ is one divine person having two natures. The one is divine, the other is human. Therefore, we the faithful honor these fathers every year and glorify Christ who glorified them. Now, it sounds like I'm reading out of a theology book, but that's typical of the liturgical text in the Eastern churches. It's called dogmatic hymnody. Our hymns are our dogma. Our chant, our prayer, the text, our prayer and dogma all at the same time. Characteristic of the liturgy of the Eastern churches. Thanks for listening. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the radio button. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.